and welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you are joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It is because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. Again, we are so excited to get ready to hear a powerful message from God's Word. Blessings to you. Today is the last week of Hashtag Let's Get It On, and it's about a subject that everybody is afraid of for one reason or another. So we're going to say it together. Everybody say sex. Sex. It's not scary. I w- I'm not afraid to say the word. You know, I think it's so funny that, that, people, that people preach this topic from such different vantage points. On one side, you have churches and people that will preach this from an angry standpoint. You're going to hell if you blah, 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 right? Because y'all have heard that before, at least on TV. Are y'all awake today? If you know what I'm talking about, say, yep. I mean, people stand on the side of the road, and they put signs like God hates, and then it has something to do with sex, and I just want to look at them and say, which God? Because my God don't hate anybody. He does hate our sin, but it's because he so deeply loves us. And it breaks his heart because it hurts us and it keeps us from him. But he does not hate anyone. So I just want to look at him and say, you're the problem. Like, what's the problem here? And then there's other people that want to be silent about it because it's difficult to talk about because everybody feels uncomfortable. But I'm going to make a declaration before we get started like this and put, that was kind of weird because it's loud and I have big feet. But like, but I'm making the declaration. That was my putting the flag in the ground, but it was two size 14s and some of y'all might be scared now. But like this is the declaration is if they're allowed to talk about it, we should more. Right? Hollywood makes billions on this topic. Commercials sell sex for anything. I don't want to buy a printer because you put a naked woman on it, but somehow they make money on it, right? Come on, talk to me. Like, like everybody's allowed to talk about this subject except for us. Well, I say shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is my personality coming out, but this is the truth. I'm tired of people telling me how this should be, and I want to know what God said, and then I want to I go with it. I want to do whatever God said. And so here's the beauty of sex is that it is supposed to be pleasurable, not just for procreation. And that God's way is amazing. Everybody say amazing. Amazing. Don't ever believe the myth that it's scary, that it's bad, or it's this weird over-the-top thing that you can never meet up to because it's so erotic and crazy. None of that is true. None of that is real. What happens inside of the parameters of your home is your business with your spouse. But the big picture that we're going to look at today is not weird or scary or gross. It's amazing. And so when it comes to the perversion of sexuality and sex in general, I believe that it is one of the enemy's greatest tools, one of the greatest weapons that he uses today because we won't talk about it, we're afraid of it, and he's running with it, right? There's a couple others, but this may be at the top. I'm not willing to say it's the highest, but it's way up there. And so this week's message is about godly sex. Everybody say godly sex. 
feels weird even saying it coming out of your mouth, doesn't it? Because it's become so taboo in our society that God and sex together seems bad. It is good. It is awesome. And it is what God intends. So here's what I want y'all to know. That presence means godly passion. Presence can't take place without godly passion. That, that if I try to experience the presence of God passionless, it ain't going to happen. If I just go, God, show up. This is awesome. Right? I'm not leaning in. But it ties in directly with sex, male to female, husband and wife. That without presence, without us being present, it will only be perverted in other ways. So God's presence has been perverted in our society over and over. And we use him instead of walk with him because all that God's desire is for my life is not to change the world, which I believe will be the outcome if we walk with him, but his desire is for me to take a walk with him. For me, for me to every day, on this day, what is it, the 25th of March, Sunday, he's not desirous of me to be a great preacher today. Mark, if you'll do a good job preaching this message, I'll be proud of you. How many of y'all know that God's not sitting on his throne going, it all hinges on Mark? <laughs> right? Because God is not concerned with what we're concerned about. He desires for me to take a walk with him, to experience him, to experience his love, and then operate from that. Well, I'm telling you right now, the greatest picture of my relationship with Christ in the intimacy that takes place is my relationship with her and the intimacy excuse me, that is supposed to take place. And it means through sex. Now, sex is not intimacy. That is the end or the, or the tie, the, what, what really ties the knot. A lot of things are intimacy, and I'm going to show them to you today using Song of Solomon. And this is what I'm going to ask y'all to do. I need y'all to be able to laugh, because if you don't laugh, it's going to be real awkward. Okay? For several verses, you can do this. <laughs> so funny, because if you won't laugh. Okay? So... Background, Song of Solomon, I'm going to chapter 4. This is the first time the dude talks. For three chapters, she talks. Just like for three hours. No, that's, that's not the funny part yet. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. That look that you gave me was, was fierce. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Moving on. No, so for three chapters, she's talking, and this is powerful because the book Song of Solomon should really be called Song of Songs, meaning it's the greatest song that he wrote of the over 1,000 songs that Solomon wrote, which is fascinating that he wrote 1,000 songs, and that this one about sex or intimacy was considered his greatest. And he only talked about 20% of the time. She talked 75%, and then the little other people, whatever, talked the other, and we won't even go there because we're not going to preach on it today. But the very first chapter is so big, so, so important, because here's the thing. I think all of you ladies in the room, and when I look around, I, I'm fascinated that this is how y'all think about yourselves but no matter how beautiful you are, ladies, whenever your husband or your mom and dad, if you're a young person or whoever tells you that you're beautiful, you immediately do this. And this is an absolute. Some, there's some exceptions to the rule, but everybody goes, nah, not really. But I don't really. <laughs> and like, it's, it's crazy because she describes herself as kind of, ugh. Plain, not real pretty, too dark. Her skin's ashy or flaky. She, she doesn't like how she looks. And she tears herself down a bit in chapter one if you can really understand the tense and the tone of her voice. And I've noticed this, that no matter how beautiful you get, how much money you spend on cosmetics or what takes place, there's something about you that you would change. And guys, we're this way a little bit, but we're attracted to the vision part and they're attracted by what they hear. And because 
y'all aren't attracted at vision as much. It don't matter to us as much as if you think we're Mr. Olympia, that you're drawn to something different. But it bothers you that you don't look like what you think you should look like. So you spend zillions, I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to go with it, on, on, on making yourself look good. And then chapter 4, Solomon goes, I've heard everything that you've said. So let me tell you what I see. Come on, someone. Everybody say, let's get it on. So you got to sing it if you're going to do it. All right, here we go. This is fascinating because there is no descriptive chapter in the Bible about sex like this one. I'm not being funny in this moment. Listen to me. If you want a how-to, this is how you do. Chapter 4 of Song of Solomon is a description of how-to. It just ain't what we think. It's just not a pornographic video that we've seen, that we think this is what it should look like. It is far different, but I'm going to tell you something. It's better. It's way better. The intimacy that takes place when you do it God's way is a far deeper, more passionate, and, an, and I'm even going to throw in feeling than you can feel outside of doing it God's way. And so here's how he starts. You are beautiful, my darling. I heard what you said, but I don't believe that for a second. Beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind the veil. Here's why he said that. Because it's crazy. Like, why did he start with eyes? He had never seen her eyes before. Until the wedding day, the veil doesn't come off. So a woman is veiled in that society. And he sees her eyes and he's like, my goodness, look at what my bride looks like. This is amazing. And he says, your hair falls. And, and I know when y'all read the Bible, y'all say the same thing to your wives. Your hair Falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of a mountain. Huh? Y'all don't do this? I said that to you the other No, just kidding. Here's what that means. This is fascinating. Gilead is this mountain in um, Israel that is, is completely tanned, which, by the way, that's what people from Israel look like. They're a caramel color skin. They're not white. Jesus wasn't white. I know that ruins y'all's Christmas cards, but Jesus wasn't white, okay? Santa might be. Jesus ain't. All right, we'll just keep going. I'm like, he is just weird, and I don't understand. They were tan tone, brown skinned, whatever you want to call it. And so he's saying, I see this mountain that looks exactly like your caramel color skin, but the goats were black. And they would go to the top, and they would sit, and they would hang out. But then in twos and in fours and in pairs, they would run down the mountain, but the mountain's not straight down, and so it looked like a flowing hair. This is why it's important, because for the very first time when she took her veil off, she pulled the little pin out of her hair, and the hair came down and said, okay. This is good. Your hair looks like the goats. Now, don't say that at home. Listen to me. Don't say that. If you say that to your bride, it's weird. We got goats here today. But they, but they ain't going down Gilead. So if you say that, she, she's going to be like, you're bad. But I'm sorry, that was awful. I just came to him. I couldn't help it. Bam. All right, here we go. Moving on. He's pointing out how beautiful she is, and he's taking notice. Then he says, this is my favorite part. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn, freshly washed. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth is matched together with a twin. <laughs> this part's bad because if you got to notice that she's got all her teeth. Here's what he's saying. I'm just praising God you're not from Gaffney. Do we have Gaffney people in the room? Raise your hand. I love you. We praise God for all your teeth, too. <laughs> this is awkward. He did have, he did, she did have the veil on, so he was like, go ahead and let me see the dentures. Go ahead and I, I, I say, ah, praise God, all the teeth there. It's funny to us because I don't think any of us, when we're describing our brides, would say, she got all her teeth. But, but he's thankful. Hashtag Gaffney. All right, here we go. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting your cheeks. 
are like rosy pomegranates. And the English Standard or some of the other translations, this is the New Living, says that it's like a pomegranate cut in half. And it's not the outsider, but the inside. If y'all have seen pomegranates, there's, it looks almost like imperfections. It's, it, there's like little dots or little seeds in there. She had pointed out that she doesn't like how she looks with that, and he's pointing out how much he loves it. This is powerful stuff, y'all. Powerful right here. Because he said, the thing about you that you don't like is what draws me to you. Then look at this. This is another one of those verses. The next two are two verses that you go, I'm just going to read this in a one-year Bible and keep going because it is freaking crazy, and I don't know what he's talking about, right? Your neck is like the Tower of David? Don't say this. <laughs> she don't know what it means, and it's going to get you in the doghouse, boys. But this was one of the, I love this verse so much because here's what the Tower of David was. It was the highest point and the place of honor in the city of Jerusalem. Here's what he's saying. He says, when this lady right here walks in the room, it's different than when all you other ladies walk in the room. I can recognize beauty. I can see that you ladies are beautiful and that the, and that the woman is a beautiful creation of our God. But it ain't none of them in the Tower of David like you are. That's why I needed you in the first service, because I was just pointing at a chair. She sits right there. <laughs> and it's not that her physical features, they are to me, because I don't care what y'all say. But it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, that, it's that, that shame and past sexual sin and difficulties will cause you to slump over. But when I see you, your head is held high. Not in a prideful way. But you're only five foot six, so there's ladies in the room that are taller than you, but you stand up above all of them to me. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you stand up. I look at you differently. And can I tell you something? Abusing sex will cause this to not be the case. Because I hear people all the time say pornography or sex outside of marriage or testing the waters or, or maybe text, having some text messages and just some flirtation is not that big of a deal. But I'm going to tell you something. This cannot be the case if that's the case. You cannot play the comparison game. She is different than every other woman on this planet. And I don't care what the descriptive woman's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like in my life and in my heart. And as soon as that leaves, it's because Satan wants to pervert sex in the worst kind of way so that you can never see your bride men the way that God calls us to. Young men, listen to me. They're daughters of the king. And they're sisters of yours before they become your bride. And if you can't see women in the way that God intends for them to see them, you'll abuse this your whole life. And then we're going to laugh at this one. So I know the word breasts is awkward to people, but this is not awkward. It's hilarious because it makes no sense. When you read this, you go, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. And all of y'all knew what this meant when y'all read it in the one year Bible. So y'all just went, sweet, praise God. What in the world is he talking about, right? Because when I think of this subject, I never have thought about deers. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> this is going to be fun. This is what he's trying to say, boys. This is like Solomon is my dude because he hooks us up right here. Because this is what guys are like. When our brides are getting changed, we somehow in our brains think that it's, she's changing for me. And not just to change clothes. Right? And so we go from this, I'm looking at an iPad, watching Netflix, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing my thing, to bam! And I'm locked in. Right? And he says, you're doing it wrong, Mark, because if I'm hunting, 
and I'm looking for a deer. I'm up in my stand. I'm in a blind. I'm, I'm trying to find a deer. And I'm the dude that y'all take for the very first time hunting. You know that what we're on the prowl for is to see them deers, right? And we look out in the field, and we see two deer in the field, and we say, Whoa, Josh, there's two deer. I tell you, go get them. And we just lose our minds. You'd take me back, wouldn't you? What would happen to those deer? Talk to me. They're gone. Don't get mad at her when she's gone when you treat them like that. Because that's what we do. At this point, he's not laid a finger on her. He's not even next to her. He is describing her in his heart. And we think they're toys. And we don't see them as precious. Her, them as precious. Our brides. And so scientifically, a man can be ready for sex in seven seconds. From zero to bam in seven seconds. That is weird. That we, and that's just average. And scientifically, it takes a woman minutes to be ready. Well, this is where it becomes a problem because, boys, you're scaring the deer away. Come on now. This is free, but I'm helping somebody. Everybody say pump the brakes. Because, because this is the point is praise, praise precedes passion. In November, I preached a sermon series, and it was all based on Psalm 100. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So y'all go with this, because I'm going to stretch the word a little bit, but I think it's fascinating that it's this close, that we enter courts with praise, and before intercourse, we should praise. That we enter God's courts by praising, and before we try to intercourse, there should always be praise. Because if my bride thinks... As a married man, which is God's way, outside of marriage, it is never God's purpose. I don't care what excuse people can make. But as a married man, if I'm willing to enter her courts with intercourse, but I've torn her down, then I'm sinning. You're like, you're married, pastor. Sex is never a sin in marriage. It is if it's not God's way. It crushes the soul of my bride just so I can get mine. No, sir. Never again. That if I'm not willing to play the game, so to speak, that I'm willing to go slow even though that I'm a microwave ready to roll at any time, she's the crock pot that takes a little time to warm up. But in between the two, and I know that's funny, but it's true, y'all. I mean, everybody wants to talk about just it should be the passion thing that you see on TV or on y'all's Hallmark channels because God help us all. Like, it doesn't look like that. Life is not like that. Life is real. And Solomon is such a, a gift to us because he's saying, listen, stop believing the lies that you look this way. And men, stop trying to go mess with her before you've praised her. And then it continues. Before the dawn breezes blow, the night shadows flee. I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. I'll get ready with these fragrances before you run for the hills why would she run? Because you're altogether beautiful, my darling, in every way. And he's reassuring her in this moment. But we're leaving praise and we're going to protection right here. Look, come with me. Don't be afraid. Don't let your past experiences, the hurt, the shame that you felt, the things that people have spoken over your life that you've held for your entire life, the insecurities and the crushing blow of abuse that is so rampant in our country. 
Don't let those things be what defines your sexual identity and experience for your entire life because God has a plan for you and it is awesome and it is pleasurable, but you got to do it his way. So if you let pain dictate what you'll do in the future, then you'll never experience his pleasure and his purpose. And he's saying right here, I know you've experienced some ugly stuff, but watch this. You can trust me by coming down from the mountain where the danger is. And look at this, it's fascinating. He says, where the lion's dens and the leopards live because that is danger, danger, danger in our lives. Like we feel that and ladies differently than we do even, you feel the danger of what if this happens and you've been hurt your entire life. And I know so many married couples that I've counseled and I've had interactions with and, and I listen to them and I feel so much pain because the man feels frustration because he doesn't conquer and a man needs that. But the woman feels frustration because she's dealt her whole life with pain and the man doesn't know how to deal with that. So he never conquers and she never overcomes. And instead of sex being the beautiful picture of salvation, man to woman, the way that salvation is God to man, that I'm the bride of Jesus Christ, y'all. As a man and as a woman, we're the bride of Christ. And just as this relationship is supposed to mirror this, we're afraid of God. What if he's angry with us? Uh, excuse me, what if, what, if, what if he's really not that good? Or what if he'll turn on us and abuse us like the past has shown us will happen? And this sexual experience that is supposed to be the culmination of what intimacy really is becomes the taboo thing in our homes. Where, where it's something that separates us instead of binds our souls together because you don't have a soul mate, but you will be tied to your bride or your groom. And it's this difficulty because protection precedes passion on both ends. And guys, if our brides are uncomfortable with something in our marriage bed, that's where you draw the line. God gave her a protective sense like a hen, but you're her protector like the rooster outside. And if you come in and just try to rule over her, and I'm going to use a word, but I'm not even trying to be funny here, but if the first thing you're thinking is pounce before praise, or pounce before protect. There's no wisdom in your life. Because the lion, before he goes to the deer, he prowls and he waits. And so I want y'all to know that safe sex or protection isn't about contraception, but control. That there is power in you men, that you're like a, an engine that revs up, that you're ready to roll. But if you can't control that power, then you are going to abuse everything in your path. And I'm including your bride one day or today. But if you can let that power be under control, which is the definition of a meek man, then she'll always feel protected and it will always be good. There'll always be pleasure. And then look, it says, you've captured my heart. This is still Solomon speaking. By the way, he still hasn't touched her. He's still not laid a hand on her. He says, you've captured my my." My treasure, my bride, I look at you as a treasure. You're not just an object that I get to touch on and fondle. You're, you're a treasure in my life. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. When I catch eyes with her, something leaps inside of me, but not when I'm not healthy in the Lord. With a single jewel of your necklace, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. You love, your love is better than wine. He's saying, there's nothing I can buy. And Solomon was the richest man that's ever lived. He had some really good wine, y'all, and really good spices. And he's like, none of that compares to you, my bride. And then look at this. This is important, and then we're going to close it with something really cool. He says, your lips 
are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Everybody say tongue. I get this question all the time, like um, preaching to students back in the day in the past. I was a student pastor and a Bible teacher and chaplain. And, but inevitably, people just want to know this, even if you're dating again. Like, what's too far? How do you draw the line? Well, the wisest man that God ever made as a human other than Jesus, because he was fully God and fully man, this is the wisest human being that was only human that ever lived. And he said, can I tell you what really cranks the engine for the very first time? It's not kissing on your mouth. It's including your tongue. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but this is going to be free for y'all. Some of y'all are going to be really smart with your people today. The French kiss, everybody say French, French. is a lie. Because this is 1,900 years before France was even founded. (laughs) So they're lying to you. This is the Hebrew kiss or the Solomon kiss, right? Because he's saying... Something happens to my engine because I touched you for the first time, your lips. And he's describing the touching of the lips. But then he says, broom, and something gets going, right? Because there's, it's like honey and milk under your tongue. Here's what I believe, and here's what we're going to teach our children. I don't think dating is horrible. I think we should be wise how we do it. Because if you, you, you're allowed to have a life is the point, right? You should not be honed in on, like have group time and have fun and enjoy each other and you probably will be attracted before you're 35 years old to a to the opposite sex and that's awesome okay (laughs) but but keep the veil down and the rest of them covered come on Jesus until you get married that's God's way you know what the minute that we decide God's way is ridiculous it's old-fashioned it's dumb that was just for the Hebrews 4,000 it's actually 3,000 years ago this is really silly it's not It's amazing that we have a gift like this because it still is the same today. Because then we go to the close and then the private garden, y'all. And the private garden is private until the day she says I do or he says I do. Someone say, that ain't my garden. Come on. It ain't mine until I got one of these. And so if you think that the line has anything to do with the garden, you should have kept your tongue in your mouth. Because that's what leads to it. And I don't know if y'all feel the way that I feel, but this is just me. And maybe it's a man thing because I'm not trying to be inappropriate, but I'm telling you the truth. Once my engine gets fired up, I don't want to turn the car off before we've driven somewhere. I'm for real. Maybe this is too much information for y'all, but I'm just telling you the truth. So what we're going to teach our kids is, this is for the day you get married. You can really enjoy each other's company, but you're going to be in trouble if you crank the car up. Because inevitably, I've found that no matter how good intentions, good your intentions are, we're going to drive farther than we ever thought we would. And we'll abuse what God made as beautiful. And then we get frustrated because we say, I never meant to go that far. But can I tell y'all something? That doesn't really work. <laughs> because I can promise you that I won't go too far if I don't get in the car. And so it's my fault. No matter my intentions, I mean, Lee and I used to, this is the truth, Lee and I used to put a Bible between us, between us in the car and pray together, and we meant really well, but we struggled. By the, we, by the grace of God, we were virgins the day we got married, but we struggled at times because no matter how good our intentions were, we had passion for each other that was not under control because I was 17, 18, 19, 20, got married because better to marry than to burn, and kept going and like, Some of y'all get that later because that's what the Bible says. But listen to me. 
That didn't make us pure. And this is where I got myself in trouble. Because you can't act pure and be pure enough. Because the word pure is the same as the word holy. And the only way that I can have purity in my relationships or have holiness in my relationships is through God's holiness. And even if I've screwed it up, been abused, abused someone, had awful things happen, purity can happen once again. That, that you could have yesterday had an awful sexual experience and today God will make you whole again and pure. That he never looks at what you did in the past like we hold our past against each other because God says my sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't hold that against me and that I can have a pure marriage once again and have a possibility of having a good, say the word, say it out loud, say a good match, match, right? Because matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Isn't that what we want? And if y'all know that movie. If y'all know that movie, The Fiddler on the Roof, what the frustration was is that you're trying to set me up with somebody that I don't want to be with. And I feel like I'm supposed to share this with this group, that that's why God doesn't force you into a relationship with him. Because even though God desires a relationship with each one of you, and there's not one person under the sound of my voice that he doesn't love deeply, he's not a forceful God, he's a gentle man. And so anytime I try to force her or try to manipulate her, love goes out the window, and we never have a good match. And, and we got a box of matches because I thought this was such a great picture of what sex really is because there's supposed to be a flame that burns. Did you know that? There's supposed to be a fire in your life. Married people that are 60, there should still be a flame burning. I'm old people now. I'm official. I just told Leah, I realized the other day, oh, my gosh, it's 20 years since our high school graduation this I mean what happened because I still feel like a teenager until I try to run come on somebody (laughs) but I believe that this match beautifully represents the full potential of your passion and your sexual experience your entire life you're like pastor that's weird because as soon as you let it burn like that as soon as you strike the match it only has so much that can burn and that's true y'all Like, there's only so much of me to go around. And so if I don't go in the parameters that God intended, this is what happens. And I look around and go, I just feel like a burnt piece of wood and not the potential to strike and have passion and intimacy. And so we we, we look at our spouse at the point that that we get addicted to certain things and we say, I'm no longer a good, say the word, match for her because... She's no longer what I'm attracted to. She's gained 30 pounds. He doesn't look like what he did back in the day. He had all this energy, and now he's kind of d- down in the dumps. And he's, he's, it looks like he's got the doldrums, and he's just blood. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the passion to go get it, and his job's not as good as I would, what I wish it was. And so we begin to tear each other apart instead of bind each other together. Here's what happens. Wrong way. It's, it's, then we, we, we look around, and we have premature passion. Right, because we're 16 and we feel like we deserve it or I should be able to test drive the car before I drive it and buy it. And it always leads to perversion. And I need y'all to hear the definition of perversion here. Perversion is as soon as I leave the parameters of what God set for my life in sex and in passion and in intimacy and by the way, in anything. Because everything under the sun is good until I pervert it. Listen to me, till I pervert it. Meaning, 
Even if Satan tempts me with something, it's not sin until I receive it and do it. I'll be tempted the rest of my life, but if I don't receive it and I bounce my eyes or I walk away or that text message that I never should have gotten, I don't receive. But I continue to chase her like she's the bride of my youth, like she's the description of that, like she's 16, 17, 18, back when I was trying to court her and date her and then eventually marry her. That's how I see 36-and-a-half-year-old Leah. I wasn't supposed to say your age because I just messed up everything in the whole message right there, but... If that's how I see Leah, then I'll chase her just like I chased her before. And I won't have premature, or sometimes this is the problem. In marriage, it's preoccupied passion. Where I'm thinking about everything else but her whenever we're intimate together. And ultimately, intimacy does lead to intercourse. But intercourse is not intimacy on its own. Intercourse is the end of intimacy. And if all I'm ever thinking about is how can I have intercourse with her, then I've Listen to me, this is going to mess with some of y'all's beliefs. I've abused my own wife because she is not a piece to have intercourse with. She is a person to have a beautiful, beautiful intimacy with like I have with King Jesus. Maybe this will make sense. The Bible says, and this is the picture of the cross and how it ties in with sex. The Bible says at the very end, and I hope y'all will read some of the passages this week that talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. Next week in the Easter service, we're going to talk about crossover and how the cross gives me a chance to have new life and cross over into his life. But the one picture I want you to see in how Jesus on the cross was the picture of us and what really happens in sex, how the presence of God is possible, and it's just a picture, is that when Jesus' side was pierced after he had been wounded and crushed in the crown of thorns, he had gone through all this stuff, and at the very end we said, it's finished, and, and he died, and then they said, let's see if he's really dead, and they took a sword or a spear and pierced his side that once his side was pierced, blood and water flowed out. And the Bible says immediately the veil, which is a thick, foot-thick curtain that you couldn't enter in because that's where the Holy of Holies or the presence of God lived, that it says the veil torn in half because the blood flowed. And at that moment, I and all of you in a love relationship with Jesus can now not only not enter the presence of God except the high priest once a year, but now all of us can have the presence of God in us, that it was purchased and because he was entered into and pierced. Well, listen, I'm not trying to be too descriptive. I'm just saying what a powerful picture that when a man enters a woman, what is torn is not a veil, but it's a hymen and blood flows. But I should never try to enter the presence of a woman if I haven't been bought and paid for by the sealed covenant of God. When you say I do, you have gotten the right to enter the presence of a woman or have a man enter the presence of you. And until that day, it is a spiritual experience that we abuse and we pervert. It is unbelievably amazing because soul ties to soul. And it is a spiritual awakening that is supposed to take place. And we perverted it too. I got to get and it causes pain or it causes perversion and it's unbelievable and we've got because the other thing that happens with this match if it's not in the parameters that God wanted me to do is instead of being a fireplace that warms my home my entire life did you know that one fire if you stoke it and blow on it and clean it one fire if you keep those embers burning could last 60 years of one you don't have to relight the fire God will keep it lit. 
And it's amazing. But here's what I believe happens because we see how erotic it's supposed to be. That is, erotic is part of it. But it's the end part. And my passion is tied to how much love I have for her as a friend of mine and companionship and how great of a mother she is. And when I take those out and I just want to get my eros on, then what is supposed to be in God's parameters in my fireplace will become a wildfire, will become a forest fire that, watch this, burns down homes. Because we see the abuse that has taken place and homes burning down everywhere and the potential of intimacy in my life ends up killing people instead of warming you and my kids. And then I'm frustrated because I don't understand it. Can I tell you this is what I believe God showed me this week? That this way's weird, y'all. That it's not what we're taught. That safe sex is just a condom, right? But it's control. And that it takes time and it takes effort. And growing up, we had a house fire my whole life. We, we burned in the fireplace a, a fire. If it was cold, we had fire. And it really, we didn't have to use the heat much because it was a double-sided fireplace and it was a honking big fire. And can I tell you why I was so ready for gas logs? It's because it's convenient. And I could just... But you know what I noticed about the gas logs in that house when I moved out and they put gas in? It did not burn quite as hot. Matter of fact, they, 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 could, they had to do gas heat and gas logs, and it took a whole lot more heat than it did from those logs. And so convenience is one of the reasons that we try to walk away. I don't have time. Because I remember we would cut trees down, and we would cut the trees, cut the trees into these big, big sections, and then you had to get the splitter that Dad got after I left, and I rebuke him in Jesus' name for that, because I used a go-devil, if y'all know what I'm talking about, and the big old eight-pound, because you become a man right there if you know how to swing one of them dudes. I see these dudes that have pretty muscles because they're in the weight room, and I was like, let me take you over to the go-devil. And speaking of go devils, go devils at five o'clock. All right, here we go. Let's go do. All right. But but when you're chopping that wood every day, every day, and then you gotta put it in the wheelbarrow, right? Or you gotta stack it. And then you gotta get it ready. And you gotta make sure it's dry, so you gotta cover it. And you gotta do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta do this. And it ain't one time. Come on, somebody. It's several times. It's every day. When I'm done with today, we had this big leather thing, and I would carry it in. I'd be like, this sucks so bad. And I would drop it down and I would make sure that it's clean, make sure everything's off. Splinters everywhere. I, I would have to, I would have to stoke it. Or or when we'd light it for the first time, you'd have to put kindling down, paper underneath, have everything in it. It takes work, it takes work, it takes work, and eventually, 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 you're like, this is not even fun anymore. Now, what's beautiful about it is if, I, if I'm willing to do that work, there's just something about a natural fire in a house, right? When you go to Cracker Barrel and you stand there and it's cold outside, you love to sit by that fire because it just crackles, and you feel how beautiful it is, and, but somebody had to work to make that fire but we're willing to go click and have convenience on your TV with some gas sex, gas logs. It's so sad. Or we're willing to let our fires burn as passionately as they want to, but we got a wildfire burning everybody else's house down and we don't get any of the passion. And I'm just telling you that as soon as it leaves the parameters that God intends for us, what should heat my home my entire life ends up burning my home down. Because intimacy is not sex. Sex is tied to intimacy. And if she's not into me, I see, or I'm not into her, then she can't see, 
then sex will be abused when it's intended to be great. But prepared passion, godly preparation through praise, through protection, through purity, always produces permanent pleasure. It, it is guaranteed. It is locked in because it pictures what I am to be with Jesus. And it's frustrating because we look at our lives and we're like, Pastor, this is great. It's fine. But I feel like my life looks like this. Like there's been some burn and now it can't be relit. But I'm going to tell you something. God will put the flint back on and he'll stoke the flame and you can start all over this moment because that's how good God is. Because it's not about your actions. It's about the action he already took. And he makes all things new and we'll flip it around and say, you can start all over, honey. And you can believe about yourself what God does, that you are beautiful and wonderfully made, that you're not a piece to be abused, that you're not to be looked down on, but you're to be looked up to as the tower of David. She is above me in my eyes. But if the only thing I look at is take your clothes off, I'll scare the deer away and I'm not even trying to be funny. Because before I pounce, I praise. I pursue, I protect with passion. And then we come together in a beautiful picture of what God does. And here's what I think the outcome should look like, y'all. Is in verse 16, she talks for the first time in this chapter. Remember, she doesn't love how she looks. She's not full of security, but insecurity. And then in this moment, it all shifts because she says, awake, north wind. My security, that's the strong wind from the north and rise up south wind, which is the gentle breeze that restores me like the wind in sails. Blow on my garden that is a private garden. Y'all remember that in verse 11 and 12? It's a private garden, but now you can blow and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. And here's what she's saying. As a result of the way you've pursued me and loved me and built me up and seen me the way that God sees me, I want you to enter my presence, God's way. And ladies, this is possible for all of you to have this into me, I see. But you'll never feel this from a man if you're pre preoccupied with trying to find one. You'll never feel this from a man if all you can think about is I got to get one tied up. And men, you'll never have the true intimacy that God intended if all you think is I got to get some and have that 10, 15 second feeling that happens at the end. Because that ain't it. Intimacy is lifelong and it is beautifully heightened through sex. It is not sex. And this can be the rest of your life if you're willing to stoke the fire and chop the wood and carry the wood and every day light it and blow it and keep it going and keep those embers ready. But it takes work, y'all. And you get to decide if it's worth it. You get to decide, is God worth it? Is it worth walking with Jesus? Because it's not always easy and I don't always get to ride in on the donkey or on the colt and watch my king be a conqueror. Some days it doesn't look like we're establishing a kingdom. Some days it looks like they're throwing rocks at us. Some days all the hell will come against me. But in the same way that I walk with Leah, in an even more passionate and intimate picture, I walk with Jesus. And if it has to always feel like it, I'll let the flame burn out or I'll burn everybody else down in anger. Watch this, in anger 
with the true message, but the wrong method in my heart. And until I look at her and look at him and say, they loved me in spite of my flaws, so I see you, God, high and lifted up, and I see you, Leah, right below him. And I have a sweet intimacy that changes everything. Then I'll just be frustrated my whole life going, why do they on the Hallmark Channel have it that way? Why do they on an erotic channel have it that way? And both of them are lies, because this is real life. You gotta chop wood, you gotta carry wood, you gotta stoke the fire, and it's amazing. This is an opportunity for you to respond. Now listen to me. Some of you don't believe that you're worth loving again because you've been abused or abandoned. You've been neglected. You don't feel lovely, ladies. Or guys, you've been the abuser maybe. And some of you, you've been neglected and abused. But can I tell you something? He was wounded and striped and healed or, and, and speared into his side and, and hung on a cross so that any of your pain, abuse, and past could be healed and a fresh start. So here's what I want you to do. Our prayer team's gonna come to the front. We're gonna respond a little bit differently today because this is such a private matter, but this is what I believe strongly in my soul. I believe sexual sin and sexual past and perverting God's way in any way with sex outside of the marriage bed is chains and bondage and will keep you bound up your entire life no matter how successful you are. And instead of embarrassing you to raise your hand, during the last song and as soon as service is over, we want our prayer team, men and women, to have an opportunity to pray over you for freedom, to walk with Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus today, they will help you and show you. But this is between you and God. And so when everybody's leaving, or if, it's, if, if you want to come, you can come right now. But when everybody's leaving at the end of the service, we want you to come. And we want to just put our arms around you and pray over you, woman to woman, man to man, and just say, God will heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. But I want to pray for you right now. And if this is you, I want you to know that there's always hope and freedom in Jesus. And purity isn't what you've done, but what he did for you. Let's pray. God, thank you that sex is such a beautiful experience, that it's not something to be ashamed of or something to shy away from, but it's something that is absolutely amazing. And it's for pleasure. And it's on purpose to procreate and to, so that we can enjoy each other's company when a man and a woman come together in marriage. And so, God, I just pray that in our mindset, we never see it as gross or raunchy, but pure. And that, God, we will walk in your purity because of your love for us and believe that we're worth loving. But, God, you don't play matchmaker in our hearts where you just force us to love you back or force each other to be together. You let us have the purpose and the decision to choose whether or not we will. And so God, I just pray freedom in this room. In the name of Jesus, I pray freedom that we'll realize your great love for us is amazing. And that as we walk out of this place today, we will feel the pure freedom of what it means to find and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So God, we thank you for the gift of sex and what a beautiful picture it is of what you did for us on the cross. And today we choose to, with heads held high to sing that you're the king of my heart, the lover of my soul. We lift your name up, Jesus, because it's better than wine. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Y'all stand with us.